for the longest time, when I thought about missions, I thought about a work that just takes place overseas, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the middle of Africa or in Asia or in the Middle East. And when I thought about missions, I I thought about missionaries and I pictured Indiana Jones type stuff. You know, I pictured people living in the middle of nowhere in grass huts, fighting off deadly poisonous snakes and eating bugs. I mean, I, I, I thought of something completely foreign to me. And let's be honest, many of you in here, unless you grew up on the mission field or in a mission-minded church, at one time or another, many of you have probably had similar thoughts about missions. Am I right? I mean, yeah, at one time, or maybe you still do, when you think about missions, you think about a work that is far removed from you and the church. And like I said, I was this way for the longest time, and it wasn't until I went on my first mission trip after graduating college that I got to see firsthand the fact that our God is a missional God. And I remember when this truth hit me. I remember sitting in a small hole-in-the-wall church in this village outside of Mexico City and watching the church, those in the church gathering together and worshiping God together. And it dawned on me right then and there that God is just as much about the work that's going on here as he is anywhere. Over the years, I've learned that truth more and more through my experiences in ministry and by doing mission work. But I've also learned that truth by studying this book right here. We learn throughout this book right here that God has a heart for the nations. We learn in this book right here of God's great mercy and grace and the great, and the great lengths that he's gone to and through to seek those who are apart from and opposed to him and the great lengths he's gone through to redeem them for his purposes and as his people. And never is this truth more clear than in the book of Jonah about the fact that our God is a missional God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 4. We are finishing our sermon series this morning through the book of Jonah. And what we've been learning in this book is that this book, the book of Jonah, is so much more than a story about a man and a fish. That's what we've grown up thinking, right? We've grown up thinking that the uh, fish is the main character of the book, and Jonah's sort of like the co-star. But what we learn in this study, and what we've learned over the, over the past few weeks through this study, is, is that this book is so much more than a story about a fish. Am I right? It's a book that is filled with great truths about our God. In chapter 1, we learn that Jonah is a book about a sovereign God. Once again, remember the, remember the story begins with God coming to Jonah and calling for him to go to Nineveh and preach against it. And remember, Jonah doesn't just say no, he gets up and he heads in the opposite direction toward Tarshish. And while he's on the boat, headed in the opposite direction, God appoints a storm 
to stop Jonah on the boat and stop the boat from moving in any direction. And remember, the men began to fear for their lives, not knowing why this has come upon them. And they find out that Jonah's to blame. And what ends up happening is Jonah gets tossed overboard into the sea. And this act of throwing Jonah overboard, it appeases God's wrath and calms the storm. Then Jonah's out in the middle of the water and God then appoints a fish to save him from drowning, to swallow him up. And he's in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. And that's chapter one. And remember, we, we discussed several truths about the sovereignty of God in chapter one. Remember, we talked about the book of Jonah is about a sovereign God. And in chapter one, we learn that God is sovereign everywhere over all things and over everyone. Well, two weeks ago, we were in chapter 2, and we looked at the great prayer that Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. And we learn in chapter 2 that the book of Jonah is not only about a sovereign God, but it's about a saving God. Jonah was tossed in the middle of the sea, and he would have drowned had not God appointed a fish to swallow him up. And remember at the end of chapter 2, we also learn that God causes this fish to vomit Jonah back up onto dry ground. And that's where we picked up last week. Remember last week we talked about the fact that not only is Jonah about a sovereign God and a saving God, but Jonah is also a book about a gracious God, a forbearing God, a merciful God, a God of second chances. And he demonstrates this in his treatment of Jonah and of the Ninevites. Though Jonah failed at first to do what God had called him to do and tried to run from God and tried to flee from the presence of God, God redirected him. And he called him once again to go to Nineveh. And though the Ninevites were godless in every way and, and had been great enemies of God and of his people, God sent Jonah to preach to them and against them so that they would repent. So we, we learn in chapter 3 that God is a forbearing God, a merciful God, a gracious God, a God of second chances. Well, today we're in the last chapter of this great book, and today we turn our focus back from the Ninevites toward this reluctant prophet and learn along with him that our God, the one true God of the Scriptures, is a missional God. Now, why is it important that we know this truth. Why is this a key truth for us to grasp? Well, there are several reasons given here in this chapter. The first reason it's important for us to remember that God is a missional God is because, number one, we can be prejudiced. We can be prejudiced. Let me explain what I mean here. Look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. So the chapter begins with Jonah being angry. Notice it says it, and it displeased Jonah. Now what is the it here? What is it referring to? Well, it's referring back to the previous verse at the end of chapter 3. Look at it with me. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Remember, we, we discussed last week that after Jonah's ordeal of being thrown out of the boat and into the sea and swallowed up by fish and spit out on the dry land, he finally went to Nineveh 
And when he got there, he obeyed the Lord and he preached to the Ninevites. And in response, they repent. And in response to their repentance, God relents and he turns his wrath away. And in response to God doing that, Jonah gets mad in chapter 4, verse 1. Notice here, we're told he's not just a little upset, right? We're told he, this displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. In other words, he was ticked off and he was mad. Jonah was angry. Isn't that something? Think about what we have here. In chapter 3, we have on record one of the greatest works of God, one of the greatest revivals, one of the greatest movements of evangelistic movements in, in all the Bible. There is a great transformation that takes place here where you have the king of, the, of Nineveh, the king of the capital of Assyria, the king of this powerful and warlike and godless city now covered in sackcloth and sitting in ashes. You have the Ninevites from the top down repenting of their sin and turning to God. You have an amazing work of God here, and then you have Jonah mad about it. What's his problem? Or like Jim said this past summer in Jonah 4 when he preached through it, what in the world is wrong with Jonah? What's wrong with this guy? I mean, have you ever heard of a missionary being upset about a revival taking place in an area where he or she is ministering? That's unheard of, isn't it? Yet that's what we have here. Well, why is, is Jonah so angry? Why is, is he put out with God for extending his mercy and his compassion to the Ninevites? Why did he run away in the first place? Well, we talked about this a bit last week. One of the main reasons why is because the Ninevites were terrible people. They were. That's putting it nicely. They were some of the most godless, heartless, merciless and barbaric people in the scriptures. Don't believe me? I have a quote here that'll put things into perspective for you. I came across this a few weeks ago. It's about the Ninevites. It says this, pyramids of human heads marked the path of the conqueror. Boys and girls were burned alive. Men were impaled and filleted alive. I read that when the Ninevites and other Assyrians went into battle, and they would conquer a, a kingdom or another nation. They took the heads of their enemies and they would come home and they would stack them up in, in pyramids to celebrate their victory. That's the kind of people they were. They didn't value human life at all. They were known for, for punishing men by stretching them out while they were still alive and stripping the skin off of them. They would also cut off limbs and lips and, and noses of people while they were still alive. They were brutal. And Jonah knew how barbaric they were because they were great enemies of Israel. Like we said last week, the Assyrians had slaughtered many Jews. You know, many when they read the book of Jonah, they, they kind of look bad on Jonah and they say, man, Jonah's just got to get over his hang-ups. He needs to be more willing to go and reach the lost and do the work of God. Well, let me tell you, though he was wrong, we talked about this last week, though he was wrong for being disobedient and running from God and being angry at the work that God had done in Nineveh, it, it would be difficult for us, many of us in Jonah's shoes, to not have his perspective. I think many of us can relate to him here. I, I, I mean, he had good reason 
for disliking the Ninevites, didn't he? It's, it's Jonah's love for God, his country, and his people that's causing him to want the Ninevites to experience God's wrath. That's why he says what he does to God in verse 2. Look at it, verse 2 of chapter 4. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah said, I knew you were going to do this, God. That's why I ran. This is why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew they were going to be spared, and he didn't want that. And it's his, really his love for God and his love for his country and his people that's causing him to respond in this way. And look at how upset he is in verse 3. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah says, I'm so mad, I could literally die. Now that's mad, isn't it? That's mad. Jonah's saying, I, I'm so mad, I don't want to go on living. And I think if we're honest, we can understand where Jonah's coming from here. Maybe not mad enough to die, right? But, but I, I think that we can relate in a way to Jonah's anger here. I mean, what if God called you to be a missionary in modern-day Nineveh? You know where that is? It's in northern Iraq. What if God called you to be a missionary to a terrorist group in northern Iraq? Some of you might be thinking, when's the ship to Tarshish leaving, Right? Be honest. I mean, Jonah would have rather gone anywhere than Nineveh. And knowing what we know about Nineveh, it's, it's, tough, to, it's tough to blame Jonah, isn't it, for, for thinking in this way. And in many ways, we are like Jonah. We have prejudices against some. To be honest, in certain circumstances, we have good reason for having hang-ups with certain individuals and certain groups. There are certain individuals and, and even people groups that are, that are easy to pray for and to minister to, but there are others who are not, right? There are some we would love to see come to Christ and others we would love to see cower before Him in judgment. If we're honest, many of us would have to admit that. But like we said last week, this book reminds us once again of a timeless truth, like it or not. We find it all throughout Scripture that God is a gracious God and He is gracious to the ungodly. He is in the business of taking those who deny Him and those who are cynical and skeptical of Him and even those who are adamantly opposed to Him. And He delights in taking those types of people and transforming them and using them for his purposes. God takes those whom we view as being the scum of the earth and, and he redeems them for himself. And this was too much for Jonah, this truth was. And if we're honest, it's a tough pill for us to swallow as well. But it's true. It's what God delights in doing. He is a missional God who delights in taking the broken down, the fallen, and the disgusting, and redeeming them and restoring them for his purposes. This, this is what he did for us, folks. Like it or not, Scripture says, this is what he did for us. That's why God asked Jonah the question he does at the end of verse 3. It says, Jonah, do you, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, 
Are you justified in being mad? I mean, who are you to say who's deserving of me or not? Are you deserving of me, Jonah? Are we believers? Think about it. A great truth in Scripture is that sin is universal. And it is the great equalizer of all mankind. Scripture is clear that that all people without exception are sinners and that that sin sets all of us against God. And as a result, we are all equally guilty before Him. Though many of us are not as bad as we could be, thank goodness. And though we have some folks in our society worse than others, all of us are equally guilty before God. And, and, And believers, though God has saved us, the salvation that we now have is in no way earned. It's not. It is unmerited and undeserved. Therefore, we have no right to say that one is more deserving of it than another because we're not deserving of it. None are deserving. In fact, God seeks out the opposite in Scripture. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32? He said this, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Believers, it's imperative that we remember who we were before God called us. We were dead in sin, enemies of God, undeserving of His mercy and grace, yet He saved us. And if we're going to be imitators of God, we must show this type of attitude to others. We must. Maybe you're here this morning and you're on the other end. You're here this morning and you know you're undeserving. You know you're You're, you're, you're sinful and you're set apart from God and set against Him. And you feel as if you are too far gone this morning, past the point of return. Listen, I've made this point before and I'll make it many times again. If you still have breath in your lungs and life in your bones, there is hope for you. There is. You know how I know that? Because I know my God. And I know that he is a missional God who gives second chances to the ungodly, who delights in taking the barbaric and the perverse and the immoral and the criminal and restoring and redeeming them for his purposes. So that's the first reason why it's important to remember that our God is a missional God because we, like Jonah, we have our own hang-ups, don't we? We have our own prejudices. The second reason is this, because we are self-absorbed Aren't you glad you came in this morning? (laughs) Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Notice it says that Jonah went out of the city. Now, my guess is he didn't just walk out or stroll out. He stormed out, you know. Jonah hated these people and could not stand watching them repent and turn and be forgiven. So he storms out of the city and he goes to a nearby hillside and he makes a booth for himself there. And the reason why he does this is because it was hot in Nineveh. It was. I saw recently where it was 120 degrees in this region of the world. Now, that's hot, right? 
And, and more than likely, I'm guessing, this is the kind of heat that Jonah was exposed to. And so he goes to the east of the city, and he goes over on a hillside, and he tries, tries to make a, a comfortable, cooler spot for him to, to sit and be protected from the heat. And we're told that he sits there in this booth, and he's watching to see what would become of the city. Now, I agree along with a lot of uh, credible commentaries that uh, what's implied here is that Jonah is looking on in hopes that the Ninevites will turn back to their evil ways so that God would then carry out the original plan of destroying the city. That's what I think Jonah's doing, and, I, and that's what I think it means when he's just looking to see what will become of the city. So he's sitting there, and he's hoping, probably hoping and waiting for them to go back to their wicked ways and for God's fire to fall. And look at what happens in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So while Jonah is sitting in this booth on this hillside outside of Nineveh waiting and hoping that God would punish the, the, the ungodly Ninevites, something very unique, something very interesting happens here. We're told that God, the same God who appointed the storm, who appointed the fish, appoints a plant that comes up over Jonah and shades his head from the sun and we're told that Jonah is exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now notice the contrast between verse 1 and verse 6. In verse 1, we learn that Jonah was exceedingly displeased because the Ninevites had repented and were spared God's wrath. But in verse 6, we're told he was exceedingly glad for the shade from the sun. How about that? Here we learn that Jonah was one self-absorbed prophet. He could care less about the spiritual well-being of the Ninevites. In fact, he would have loved to have seen them and their city burn. But he was greatly concerned with whether or not he had protection from the sun. He had no interest in them being protected from God's wrath, yet he was greatly concerned with whether or not he had a shade over his face. Here's the point. We can be just like Jonah, can't we? The reason it's important for us to understand that God is a missional God is because we, like Jonah, have a tendency to be self-absorbed ourselves. We do. We tend to be more concerned with personal comforts than we are the spiritual condition of others. We tend to prioritize individual luxuries over selfless service. Listen, God calls for us to do the opposite. Our God is a missional God. He is a God who has not remained removed from us like Jonah was from the Ninevites. Though he could have, he didn't. But instead, he became one of us in order to redeem us and has sought us out and has bought us back into his family. And believers, he calls for us to take part in this work as well. Though it's good for us to enjoy the comforts that God provides, we should not allow these personal comforts to take priority over the mission that God has called us to. That's key. Well, there's a third and final reason why we need to focus on God being a missional God, and it's this. It's because many are in need. 
in the previous verse we learn that God had added to Jonah's comfort in the story on a hillside by appointing a, a plant to shade him from the hot sun. But notice how quickly this comfort goes away. Look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, it's better for me to die than to live. We find here that God's not through teaching Jonah, right? The same God who appointed a storm, who appointed a fish, who appointed a plant, now appoints a worm to attack the plant in a scorching east wind and the sun to scorch Jonah. While Jonah is sitting there waiting for God's wrath to come down on Nineveh, get this, God's wrath comes down on his shade plant, which results in Jonah losing his comfortable shade. Once again, Jonah throws a pity party. He says, kill me, God, I would rather die than be out here in the hot sun. And notice what God says. God says again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Boy, Jonah's really mad. He's so furious, he's firing back at God here. The first time God asked, do you do well to be angry? Jonah remained quiet, but this time he fires back at God. God says, are you justified in being angry, Jonah? He says, you bet I am. Angry enough to die. Boy, he's angry. And in response to Jonah's outburst, God gives the lesson of the plant. And this is the main lesson of the chapter, and I believe to be one of the, one of the main points of the book. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God is trying to teach Jonah a valuable lesson here. God's saying, Jonah... You are so passionate about this plant. You are so passionate about being shaded from the sun. You are so passionate about your personal comforts. Shouldn't you be passionate about Nineveh? Shouldn't you be passionate about the salvation of these people? God is demonstrating to Jonah that they're on completely different pages here. He says, he, he shows Jonah here that their desires, they do not line up. He's showing Jonah, Jonah, my concern is for the nations. You're concerned with being comfortable. I'm concerned with the spiritual condition of the Ninevites. You are concerned with the shade plant. My heart is for the lost. Your heart is for yourself. Showing Jonah how out of whack his priorities are. He says there are more than 120,000 people in this city who don't know their right hand from their left, and you're coming at me griping about a shade plant. Man. He says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? This is the third time, by the way, that God refers to Nineveh as a great city. And what he means by that is not that they're a great group of guys and gals. We know they weren't. 
but he's referring to the fact that this is a large and populous city. He's showing Jonah here, there are tons of people here who are lost and they don't even know that they are. There are hundreds of thousands of people in need of salvation and you're going to come to me griping about a plant. Boy, God's really putting it down here, isn't he? He's putting Jonah in his place. He's saying, Jonah, there are people here who need me, and here you are, far removed from them in your own little world, worried about a comfortable place to rest. Get ready for the sore toes again. I wonder how many of us have this problem. How many of us are so self-absorbed and self-involved, how many of us are so consumed with our life being easy and comfortable that we completely ignore the needs of hundreds and thousands around us who are lost and in desperate need of a Savior? I wonder how many of us are like Jonah in our own comfortable little world, completely ignoring the thousands in this city and surrounding areas who do not know their right hand from their left. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Graham, what's the church going to do about it? You know, that's a good question. Believers, you're the church. What are you going to do about it? You're the church. The purpose of the church is to establish you in truth and equip you for ministry. Each and every week, listen, you leave this place and you enter into your mission field. You do. You come in contact with people I've never met, and you have more influence with your friends, neighbors, co-workers, and family than I could ever have. And many of them don't know their right hand from their left. What are you going to do about it? Stay removed from them and remain comfortable? Or are you going to be on mission for God? God is a missional God. He desires to be known and worshipped where he is not known and worshipped. And, and if that's not your desire, Scripture is clear, folks, you're not on the same page with God. Let me end with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're now beginning to realize for the, for the first time that you can't even make God known because you don't know him yourself. Maybe it's finally dawned on you for the first time this morning that, there, that, that you are in the same boat as the Ninevites. Not that you're as wicked as they were, but that you're in the same spiritual state and equally guilty before God because of your sinfulness. Let me give you a word from God here, and I know this to be true from His written word. Listen, He wants to be known and worshipped by you. He does. And He's gone to great lengths to make this happen, folks. See, God has chosen not to stay removed from us like Jonah did with the Ninevites. He could have, like we said earlier. He could have kept us and, and left us in our, our broken and fallen state because Scripture is clear, though He created us in His image and right relationship with Him, we left Him. We sinned against Him. And He could have stayed removed from us, but He, he did not do that. Instead of staying removed from us, listen, God condescended down to our level and He became one of us. Think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe who put the sun in place, who knows the stars by name, chose to be born in a horse trough in a place where the animals stay. 
The one who spoke the world into existence chose to identify with us to such an extent that he became a baby. That's the extent that God has gone through to identify with us. He identified with us by growing up in the average home and walking the streets with the common man. He hung out with fishermen, tax collectors, and sinners, and even allowed himself to be identified with the lowliest of criminals and allowed himself to be punished and executed with them. He died a painful death on a shameful cross for you and for me. Our sins, which separated us from the Father, were paid for by the Son on the cross. That's the extent that God has gone through for us to identify with us. That's the extent He has gone through to be known and worshipped by you. He is a missional God. And the question for you now is this. How are you going to respond to Him? How are you going to respond? I pray if you have not, that you would respond to him today by turning from your sins and making Christ Lord of your life. Let's pray.